Take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah for one more Sunday, uh, one more time together in the book of Jonah. We're actually going to be in an overview of Jonah. Uh, we're going to kind of talk through some of the lessons for Jonah that's going to springboard us into the New Testament at the end of the message. And so towards the end of the message, I'm going to have you uh, turn over to the book of Matthew. But right now we're going to start in Jonah. And let me just tell you about the book of Jonah or what we're going to do today. We're going to look at three big lessons from the entire book of Jonah. And I want to, I want to do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think sometimes when we walk through a series of messages like we just have in the book of Jonah, that what happens is we focus so much on the individual verses, the individual moments, the individual decisions, that we maybe lose kind of the scope of what is being taught or what is intended for the whole book. And so I want to stop and make sure that we don't miss the forest for the trees in this instance. And secondly, I want to kind of do this as an introduction to what we're going to start next week, where we're going to start um, a series of messages on the minor prophets. And every week, we're going to take a minor prophet and talk about the overall message of that book. And so we won't necessarily be going verse by verse through every book, because some of those books do have three or four chapters. But we're going to talk about the overall message using what the prophet would say. And we're going to do that as kind of a test run today through the book of Jonah. And I want to encourage you to be here next week. Um, we're starting our new uh, series on minor prophets. And also it's VBS kickoff week. And so next Sunday morning, uh, we'll be uh, decorated and ready to go and as uh, classroom. The classrooms will be decorated, and so your Sunday school class may look differently next week because VBS is coming. Next Sunday night, we have our VBS kickoff party. We'd love you to be a part of that. It's a great week to invite people to come to VBS as the boredom of being out of school hits children all around, and they're looking for things to do, and parents are next week, uh, not this coming week, but a week from now, we'll start our VBS. It'd be a great thing to invite people to. And so it's going to be a great series. Next week, we're starting with one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, Hosea, and then we'll just keep going from there. But over the last four weeks, we've been in this book, Jonah. And I just want to take a week and remind ourselves of some of the big lessons that are here. And I think if I were to ask you several weeks ago, not knowing, you not knowing, hey, he's going to do a sermon series on Jonah or not having walked through this, what do you know about the book of Jonah? I think there would have been two or three things that would have been said. The first thing would have been, oh, the fish, the whale. There's a whale and there's a fish in it. He's eaten and Jonah lives there for three days. Somebody might have said, hey, it's about the guy that ran away and didn't want to tell people about God. And all those are true. But the book of Jonah really has one consistent theme or main character throughout. At the core, the book of Jonah is about God. The fish is only mentioned four times in the entire book. Nineveh, the great city, is only mentioned nine. Jonah himself is only mentioned 18. And God is mentioned 38 times in the book. So if you just look at that, God is mentioned more than the fish, Jonah, and Nineveh combined. And the question that I want to ask today is, so what does it teach us about God? Or what does it challenge us with? What are the challenges from the book of Jonah that we have based on what we've looked at over the last few weeks? For me, it's going to be easy to kind of skip around because in my copy of God's Word, in my Bible, the book of Jonah fits neatly on two pages. And so I can see the whole book there. But I'm going to reference verses throughout. They won't be on the screen. The Matthew verses will. The Jonah verses won't. But you look at your Bible. Follow along as we go through there today. And the first thing that we see in the book of Jonah is 
So the book of Jonah challenges us with our relationship to God's word. The entire book of Jonah starts in Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 where it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It turns or pivots in chapter 3 verse 1 when it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Both times the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. It's the exact same phrase. It's the exact same message. It's the same commission. It's the same calling. It's the same mission. It's the same thing he's supposed to do. The difference is the way that Jonah responds to the message. The book starts with a command and rejection. It pivots on a command and obedience. And the reality is that if you want to know the major difference between those people that are following the Lord Jesus Christ closely in their life, that are seeing Him work in and through their lives, in and through their families, in and through their churches, in and through their communities, the main difference is the same difference that we see in the life of Jonah in chapter 1 and chapter 3. The main difference in there is the simple word obedience. Most of us in this room... If you're here at church on Memorial Day weekend, know that the Bible tells us there's certain things we ought to be doing. For most of us in this room, it's not a knowledge question. It's not whether we know what the Bible says. Now, we may not know the intricacies of it. You may not consider yourself a Bible scholar or even a strong Bible student. But you know the basics of what the Bible teaches us about how we ought to live our lives. And in the midst of that, the question becomes not do we know what we should be doing are we doing what we should be doing? The real question is obedience, not knowledge. And what we see in the life of Jonah is similar to what we see in the life of ourselves. And that is that oftentimes we think, we may not say this, we may not verbalize this, we might not even like, we might push this kind of the subconscious where we don't think about it up front. But oftentimes when we're disobedient to God, it's because we think we know better than God. The reality is Jonah here thinks that he understands the situation around him better than God does and that those people don't deserve the grace and the mercy of God. That is not a wise plan, God. No, I don't need to go there. I could lose my life. It could endanger your people. I'm the one protecting your people here, God. I'm the one that's doing what's supposed to be done. Now, again, we may not be blatant in that thought process, but anytime we choose to go in a direction God does not want us to, anytime we engage in an activity God doesn't want us to engage in, anytime we take part in something we're not supposed to take part in, a relationship we're not supposed to do, uh, um, something that we cheating, lying, what we're saying is that we know better what's good for us. From the very beginning, sin has begun with distrust in God. We trust our own wisdom way too much. Yesterday I was driving around in Spotify. Some of you that have Spotify know this, that they'll, they'll, give you, they'll do their own playlist for you, kind of customized playlist. And I have one that they do customized plays like New Release Radar, songs that I might be interested in that just came out. Um, there's a new Hillsong Young and Free worship song and I don't even know the name of it. I've heard it once. Um, but in the middle of it, um, Andy Maneo raps in the middle of it. And so it's a cool new version of, or maybe it's a remix. I'm not really sure. But I was listening to it and it just caught me. Now, I'm not, I am not one of those lyric Nazis. Okay. Y'all know what those are? 
People that read lyrics or listen to lyrics just to find what's wrong with them. Like, I'm not that guy, okay? But I was listening yesterday, and he's talking, and he says in the rap, God, you probably know how to rule my life better than I do. And my first thought was, probably? Like, probably? Like, that doesn't sound like, you know, like, God, you know how, like, that's the better way, all right? And then I thought to myself as I was preparing this, as I was thinking through this, I was rethinking through my sermon last night, going over it in my mind. I thought, that's how a lot of us live our lives, though. God, you probably know better, but maybe in this one instance. Scripture teaches that true faith is obedience to God no matter what the circumstances are. Jonah teaches us that true faith is obedience to God, no matter what the circumstances are. I think about the Sermon on the Mount. We talk about this a lot, but chapter 5 through 7, the longest recorded teaching of Jesus, and Jesus does just one hot-button topic after another about how we are to live, about how we're to let our light shine, how we're to pray how to re-engage other people, how we're not to hate other people, how we're not to lust after other people, how all this stuff is supposed to happen. He takes the law and he takes it up a notch and he says it's higher than you expected, it's more difficult than you expected. And then at the end he says, those of you that hear these words of mine and do them are like the one that built their house on the rock. Those of you that hear these words of mine and do not do them are like those who built your house on sand. The difference between the do was how... They responded to God's word. If your house isn't built on a good structure, it will fall. I don't know if you saw this headline yesterday on social media, but apparently uh, the... Um, anybody, how many of you have been... Anybody here been to the Noah's Ark in Kentucky? I've, yeah, I've, we've been as a family. All right. All right. It's big. Okay. I don't know if you saw this headline yesterday, but um, Noah's Ark's parent company has sued their insurance uh, for damage due to flooding, um, which let that sink in for just a moment, all right? Um, but apparently they had not built the road on a strong enough foundation and flooding happened and it's washed away part of the road, all right? But the reality is our lives, if they're not built on the proper foundation of obedience to the word that God has called us to, they will wash away. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about if you're a follower of Jesus. What I mean is that you are foregoing some of the blessings that God has in store. So how do you react when God calls you to do something that you don't want to do? How do you react when the calling of the Lord on your life is to be uncomfortable in who you are, how you act, where you go, what you give up, what you leave behind. How do you react when God calls you to do something you don't want to do? Jonah teaches us, challenges us to truly trust the Lord and obey no matter what. The second challenge that he has, he also challenges us about our relationship with God's world. What could be at the center of this entire story is the question of who is our neighbor? 
I mentioned that Nineveh is mentioned a few times in this, in this account. In fact, nine times Nineveh is mentioned throughout. And Nineveh was one of the worst places in the world. The greatest enemy of God's people at that time were the people of Nineveh. And God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah, as we talked about last week, gets fiery mad about that, upset about that, can't believe that. And God is teaching us through this entire book that God sometimes calls us to difficult people because he He loves difficult people as much as he loves us because we are difficult people. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? I mean, it's easy to look at other people and think, whoo, they are hard to handle. And forget that somebody is looking at you going, whoo, they are hard to handle. We're all difficult people. And God loves All of us the same. We learn that as a child, but we seem to forget it as we apply it to our lives as we grow up. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. The question asked at the center of Jonah is, who is our neighbor? Who is deserving of the grace and the mercy of God? And Jonah would have answered that in Jonah chapter 1 as us, our people, God's chosen elect. God's people. And by the time you get to the end of Jonah, Jonah would have answered that question with us. One of the tragedies of the book of Jonah is that in the book we don't see any kind of reconciliation for Jonah when it comes to his understanding of who the Ninevites are and their ability to receive the grace and mercy of God. Now I think he eventually came around How do I think he eventually came around? Because the book got written. And has been spread. And most people think it's autobiographical that Jonah wrote this book. And if Jonah wrote this book, why would he write the book if he still didn't believe that God ought to go to Nineveh? But the question for us is, who is our neighbor? You see, Jonah wanted a God who would smite the bad people, the evil Ninevites, and bless the good people, the Israelites. And yet we know from Scripture time and time again, the Israelites who had all the benefits of being God's chosen people, that had the law written to them, that had the things of God, the temple of God, the tabernacle of God, the place of worship of God, the understanding of how to relate to God, those people made some of the worst decisions in the history of the world. And had some of the most evil kings imaginable. And so it's not about the good and the bad. If God smites all the bad people, we're done. And so the question becomes, how do we relate to those that are different than us? There's a place in Luke chapter 10. When it says one who was familiar with the law or an expert in the law. Now that's not like the law, like a lawyer out there trying cases in a courtroom. That's like the law of God. And he says to Jesus... What do we need to obey? And Jesus says, well, you tell me. And he says, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, then that's right. And then it says, but wanting to justify himself. Man, there have been lots of bad decisions made in the history of the world wanting to justify yourself. But he says to Jesus, then who exactly is my neighbor? And it tells us in that case what he's trying to do is to make sure he excludes the right people. And Jesus responds with a parable about a man beaten half dead on the side of the road. A preacher walks by and doesn't help him. A 
music minister walks by, doesn't help him. And then a Samaritan, somebody different than them, somebody they looked down upon, somebody they called a half-breed, somebody they made racial jokes about, they had epithets about how they would refer to them. That Samaritan would stop and help the man on the road. And then he looks at the expert of the law and he says, who was a neighbor to this man? And the man reluctantly says, the one who stopped to give help. And he says, go and do likewise. Here's the reality. Our neighbor is anyone that we come in contact with on the face of the earth. And we are to treat them with love and respect and encounter them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because no man is more deserving of any other man in the salvation that God has given to us. In 2004, a Dutch filmmaker named Theo van Gogh was killed by a Muslim radical. The Dutch community around there became enraged. And so someone attacked a mosque in response to that attack and that killing. And someone from that mosque attacked a Christian church. And someone from that church attacked a mosque. And somebody from that mosque attacked a church. And before long, there was an all-out retaliatory strikes happening back and forth, back and forth among those in the community. During that time, there was a Dutch Protestant minister by the name of Kees Simbrandi who decided that God had called him to do something about it. And so he walked over to a local mosque and he knocked on the door and they opened suspiciously and they said, what's going on? What do we need to do? How can I help? And then he says, listen, I just want you to know that I'm going to be standing out front here for the next little bit and I'm going to make sure that nobody does anything to your mosque. He said, in fact, I've called about 30 of my pastor friends and congregations and there are going to be people standing out here for the duration of the night and for the next few days and we're going to make sure nothing happens. And so as that vigil went on, these Christians standing outside protecting a mosque, somebody from the local news decided to interview Keys, and they said, what caused you to do this? Is it, is it because you've had an experience where you have sat down with a, a Muslim brother or sister and you have had your mind open to their ways? And he said, no, 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 that's not what happened. They said, is it because you, um, you know, all of this, this, there's this great pressure for us just to accept everybody and love everybody? He goes, no, that's, that's accepting, I'm not accepting what they believe. And the reporter confounded said, then what was it that caused you to do this? And he said, it's really very simple. He said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus told me to love my neighbor and especially my enemies. Jonah, who had not yet heard that phrase of who their neighbor was, or to love your enemies as Jesus would proclaim, learned from God that all people deserve the opportunity to hear of the grace of Jesus Christ, or in his case, the grace of an all-forgiving, almighty Father. Jonah challenges us with our understanding of his world but it also challenges us with our relationship with God's grace. There's a portion of this story that has stood out to me more than it has in the past. You ever had that happen to you before? Like you read a story in the Bible several times or you hear it preached or you hear a Bible study on it and then you go back and you see something you've never seen 
Psalm. What is that? That's some, that's some southern coming out right there, right? Well, I saw something I never saw him before right there. And, and I've heard, John, how many of you have ever heard the story of Jonah before we did this, this uh, sermon series? Wow, look at all of us here. We are Bible studs, all right? We have heard the story of Jonah, right? Like, I have heard the story of Jonah a long time, a lot of times in my life. I grew up, um, before I even went to First Baptist Church in Dyersburg, I grew up in a little country church called Southside Baptist Church where my grandmother was my Sunday school teacher, vacation Bible school teacher, discipleship training teacher. She was it. Her name was Nell Edwards, and she was feisty as could be, great teacher. Uh, my, my mom actually put a picture up of her teaching GAs 70 years ago. She, was, she loved that stuff, all right? And she was, here's the thing about Granny. Granny taught VBS. My grade, I don't know how this happened, but she only taught one grade of VBS, but it was my grade every year. She, like, followed me, all right? So she must have thought, boy, I only got this, I only got a week of VBS with him. But the thing about Granny was we didn't have just a week of VBS because Granny liked to do trial runs of VBS. She wanted to make sure she was prepared for the other two kids that would be in that small church with me in Vacation Bible School, all right? It was my cousin and me who stayed with Granny and Gramps all summer while Mama, our parents worked. And then there were usually two other kids, and that was our VBS class. And Granny would take the, first, the three weeks before VBS, and we would do VBS every day. So she was ready for it. And so I heard the stories of VBS four times in a summer. Sunk in. I don't regret that at all. I'm thankful for that. But there's no telling how many times I've heard the story of Jonah. From Granny Nell and... Granddaddy Rex and my mom and dad and brother Buddy Boston, that was my pastor growing up, and Phil Jett, my father-in-law, that I went, was my pastor in college. There's no telling how many times I've heard it. I preached it, I know, all the way through like four times as a pastor. And yet there's a part of it this year that stood out that I haven't seen before. You see, all of us in this room are going to end up in the position Jonah ended up in running from God at some point in our lives. Every single one of us. Now, it may be real overt. It may be that you grew up in a Christian church. You grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you're a young person here today. And it may be that at some point rebellion really strikes and you run away from the Lord. And it is obvious to those around you. Or it may not be obvious to those around you, but you're just going through the motions. And internally, your spirit, like Jonah, even when he obeyed God and went to the Ninevites, inside you are not really believing it. You're not really feeling it. You're not really doing it for the right reason. You're here because of mom or dad. Are you here because of a relationship? Are you here because of the kids? Are you here because you want to be seen in the community as being here? But you're running from God on the inside. Or maybe there's it's circumstances in your life. There's an illness in your life that pushes you away. Or there's financial difficulties that push you away. Or you just decide you're doing so well, you don't need God right now. And you kind of go in your own direction. But at some point in our lives, every single one of us is going to find ourselves in the position Jonah does at the beginning of chapter 1 of this book. Running from God. Fleeing from God. Avoiding. God, trying to get away from God. Now, we could talk for a while about the fact that you can run from God, but you can't run away. He is always going to catch you. But what is fascinating to me is the response that Jonah has in this book. Because when you find yourself in the place where Jonah is, you have two ways you can handle the grace of God in your life. You can run from it or you can receive it. 
And what I find interesting, and it's just, it's just sat with me over the last four weeks as we've studied this book, is how much it took for Jonah to finally get to the place to receive the grace and forgiveness of God. Because we know the story, right? Chapter 1, he's running from God. He gets in the boat, and very soon, I mean, there are unintended consequences here. Nobody expected this to happen, but when we walk away from the Lord, consequences happen to the people around us, people that are just in the vicinity of us. These aren't friends. These aren't family. They're just sailors trying to do their job with a stowaway or extra add-on boarded, and he's down at the bottom sleeping, and they're up there trying to figure out what in the world to do to get rid of this storm. It tells us, But the captain goes down to him and says, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up and call to your God. And we know from the rest of the story that Jonah refuses to call out to his God in that moment. Because I believe that if he would have called out to God in that moment, the storm would have stopped. He's done, but he doesn't. And then he gets up top and the sailors are like, this is your God to do something about it. And he refuses. And then they say, what are we supposed to do with you? And he says, throw me over. They go, we're not going to throw you overboard. We're not going to do that. Call out to your God. We're calling out to our gods. And he refuses. And they throw him overboard. The fish comes and swallows him. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then it goes to chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now the way that's written, if you just jump in on chapter 2, you're like, all right, Jonah got in there, he starts to pray to the Lord to get him out, and then the Lord gets him out. But I don't think that's what's intended. Because in their day, it would not have been divided into chapter 1 and chapter 2. They would have flowed one into the other. And I think what it's saying there is after three days and three nights, then Jonah prayed. So I want you to think about this progression. God is racing to chase him down. He chases down Jonah. He has got him to the point where he is inside of a fish. And Jonah in his stubbornness, a prophet of God in his stubbornness, still refuses to call out to God for three days and three nights. And the question in your life and in my life is, how will we respond to the Lord when we have walked away from Him, when we have chosen our own path, when we have gone our own direction, when we have decided we're not going to follow Him, we've decided we're going to choose our own destiny, we've decided we're going to go through that relationship even though it's not beneficial to our spiritual life, when we've decided we're going to turn that computer on and look at that site again tonight even though it is not helpful to us, when we've decided we're going to just fudge that number a little bit, we're going to treat, cheat on that exam just a smidge, we're going to go again against what God has called us to do, regardless of what it is. We're going to continue to tell that joke that is inappropriate and we know it. We're going to continue to harbor attitudes that do not benefit the cause of Christ when we look at other people. We are not going to treat our wife as we ought to treat her. We're not going to treat our children as we ought to. We're not going to obey our parents, that we are going to do what God has called us not to do. How are we going to respond when we realize that God is in the midst of chasing us down? Are we going to run? Are we going to get away? Are we going to make it worse? Or are we going to turn to the only one who can restore us? Listen, when you make a mess of your life running away from the Lord, I don't know what the reaction will be of the people that have been harmed by the unintended consequences that you have. But I can tell you this, when you turn to the Lord, he's already there.
He is ready to receive you. And if you ever doubt that, all you have to know is that he's already died for your sins. And it's not just about our relationship with God's grace for us. Do we run from it? Do we receive it? It's also about are we giving it? Are we sharing it? I mean, the point of chapter 4 is for us to examine our own heart and ask the question, are we doing what God's called us to do to take the gospel to the world? Three important challenges for us in the book. But what's really cool about what God does with the Jonah story is that he takes it into the New Testament. And so if you've got your Bibles open, turn over to Matthew chapter 12. I'll give you a second to get there. If you don't get there, it'll be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 12, first book of the New Testament. And Jonah's mentioned again here, but it's in a strange place. And there's a challenge at the end of it to us. It says in chapter 12, verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, by the way, that's a, they're calling him teacher there, but that's not a genuine sign of respect. That's a mocking phrase. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So they're saying, listen, we want to know if you're the real deal, or at least that's what it appears that they're doing. But that's not what they're really doing. What they're really doing is not saying, we want to see something from you that will convince us that you are God's son. What they're saying is, show off for us again. Jesus had recently healed a guy with a withered hand. He had performed miracle after miracle after miracle. They're just looking for some way to trap him. Next verse. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But then he gives them this at the end. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. The point he makes is this, and we'll finish. Have you responded to God's call on your life? He says, I'm only going to give you one sign. And that sign is that I'm going to be dead, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to come back from the grave. That I'm going to spend the same amount of three days in the earth as he did in the fish. But my message is greater. Jesus' message is greater because of the assurance that is behind it. When Jesus preaches, he gives you the assurance that it will be there. I think about this. When, Jesus, when Jonah went to Nineveh and preached to the Ninevites there, when they get done with it, it's always funny to me how they say this, but the king says, who knows, God may turn from his wrath. There's a chance God will do something. But in Jesus, we know that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, if we accept his forgiveness, he will do something. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John six thirty seven says, The one who comes to me, I will never, for any circumstances, cast out. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Prophet Isaiah promises, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them like fine wool. And Paul says in Romans 10.13, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I can tell you that there is a complete assurance that when you ask Him to save you, He will. And it's not just that His assurance is better. It's the reality that the salvation He provides is better. The Ninevites were a civilization that would repent as we have in Jonah, but would turn back to their wicked ways and would be destroyed. The salvation Jesus offers is better because it is eternal. It is forever. He has taken our place. And that means what He has is now ours. And it's also better because His character is better. Listen to this comparison that a pastor wrote about Jonah and Jesus. He says, we can take comfort because although Jonah hated the Ninevites, he only went because God forced him to. Jesus could not have been more different. Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran towards it. Jonah only came because he had to. Jesus came because he wanted to. Jonah sat outside the city and hoped Nineveh would be destroyed. Jesus stood outside Jerusalem and wept and pleaded for her salvation. The only reason Jonah delivered the message to Nineveh was to save his life. He knew if he didn't, God would kill him. Jesus delivered his message even though it would cost him his life. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea because of his sin. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath because of our sin. Jonah was taken down into the depths of darkness for three days because of his disobedience. Jesus was taken into the darkness of death for three days for our disobedience. Jonah was more upset about the death of a plant giving him shade than he was the destruction of children. Jesus gladly, in Hebrews 12, 2, endured the pain of the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy of turning rebels into sons. Jonah showed up bearing only announcement of condemnation. Jesus said God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. When God's mercy was extended to Nineveh, Jonah wallowed in self-pity and cursed God. Jesus depicted himself as a father who yearns for the return of his son so badly that he runs to meet him and forgives him before he even can say, I'm sorry. Jesus is the truer and greater Jonah. Verse 41 is haunting to me. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We have no excuse. We have heard of the one who gave his life for us. And the response that we make today, the response that we make with our life, determines whether we will be condemned on that day by men who had very little hope or whether we will celebrate with Jesus. Let's pray together.